0: Remember the popular saying a few years back? It, it really went around church circles. It went something like this. One person would say, God is good. The next one would say, all the time. Then that one would say, all the time, God is good. You remember that? Or are you just quiet third hour? I'm going to say, God is good. You're going to do this for me. God is good? All the time? Yeah. Why do you think that was so popular? I think sometimes what happens is that um, we see God like ourselves. And we know we're not good all the time. And we know that oftentimes we have uh, problems and our motives aren't that good. And, And I talked a couple weeks ago about how we distort God. By looking at him like we look at ourselves, that's diminishing who he is. And so the saying comes on the scene that kind of elevates God to his rightful position. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. He's not like one of us. He's always good. He's by nature good. Well, we're continuing this morning on our series, uh, addressing the question, who is God? And uh, as evidenced by the topic matters so far today. We're looking at the goodness of God this morning, and our goal is to see God as He longs to be seen, and God longs to be seen as good because He is good, and people who reject God tend to reject the goodness of God because it's hard to reject a good God. It's easier to reject a God when you vilify Him. Many looking at the injustice of this world will say, well, if that's what God has created and that's what God is over, I don't want anything to do with Him. Many in the pain of a trial will say, well, God isn't good because I'm going through all this pain, and they question the goodness of God, and they use uh, trial or they use the injustice of the world as, as an excuse to reject God. So is God good or not? Yeah, he's good. And I believe God longs for us to see him as good. Uh, to see him as anything but good is a distortion of who he is, and it will cause us to trust him less than we ought to trust him. So we're going to establish a baseline this morning. Um, when it comes to the goodness of God. It's repeated numerous times in the Bible that God is good. So from biblical revelation, we can say this, God is good. And here's why I can say that with such authority, um, because there are so many examples, so many samples in, in the Bible uh, that reveal God is good. For instance, 1 um, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says this, Give thanks to the Lord... For he is what? Good. His love endures forever. Listen to how the ancient Israelites reacted um, as as Solomon's temple was dedicated uh, to God and the glory of God shown up in that place. I'm going to read to you 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1-3. through When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, now listen to this, he is good, his love endures forever. Of all the things they could say, what do they say? He is good and his love endures forever. We have a good, good father. David declared in Psalm 25:8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. So from a biblical revelation standpoint, it's clearly revealed that God is good. The question becomes, will we believe it? Will we take it at face value? Seeing God as he longs to be seen is incredibly important. And if God is good, we need to see him that way because then we realize he is for us not against us, right? And he has in mind uh, our, our, our welfare, not our harm. And we begin to see our problems and our circumstances very differently. We don't see and question God in them. We know that our God is good, and we begin to say, Okay, good Father, what are you up to in my life? You begin to look at life and do life very differently. The word good in the context that I shared with you thus far means this. To do well, be pleasing, pleasant, beautiful, excellent, lovely, delightful, joyful, fruitful, precious, cheerful, kind, correct, righteous. You get the idea. That's what the word good means here. A.W. Tozer, pastor and author of many books uh, who lived in the first half of the 1900s, said this about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that which exposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude towards all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. So God is what? Good. But let's look a little deeper into this goodness topic, because I think we need to understand that God is good, but there's more to uh, this goodness than then the, just that God is good. Um, I want to talk to you about a goodness perspective. I think that's really, really important. There is no good apart from God. No good is apart from God, period. God is a source of good, and all goodness comes from Him. And I know that's a little bit of a hard concept for people to grab a hold of, but it's articulated in Scripture this way. Listen to Psalm 62, or Psalm 16, verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you I have what? No good thing. Jesus further emphasized that God alone is the only source of goodness. He has this exchange that takes place in, in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through, through 18 that makes this really clear. As Jesus started on his way, a, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and, 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 and said, good teacher, right? Uh, Let me say this again. Let me start again, okay? As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. James makes it really clear in his epistle that every good thing comes from God above. Listen to what he says in James chapter 1, verse 7. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So not only is God revealed in the Bible as being good, it's also revealed in the Bible that every good thing has its source ultimately back in God. So now we have this full biblical understanding and picture of goodness. God is good, and he is the source of all goodness. Now, today, something important needs to transpire, I think, in all of you. It's one thing to begin to say mentally, okay, God, you're good, I realize all good things come from you. But God wants us to begin to experience that and begin to have it move from here to here. And so there's an invitation that I think we need to take to heart this morning, and it's found in Psalm 34, verse 8, and it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So you have an invitation before you today, and it's simply this taste and see that the Lord is good. This morning's not about some more information about an attribute of God. This morning is about coming to a conviction that this is who God is, and I'm going to receive him that way, and I'm going to embrace him that way. We're in the in the hot days of of uh, South Dakota. You know, it's just hot out there. Have you noticed that? And I I like to work outside. I like to do some things outside. And I tell you, I get super thirsty. Do any of you really get thirsty? And sometimes, you know, I'm a guy, so I don't care. I just turn the spigot on and cut my hand under the spigot and begin to just suck on the water because I'm so thirsty because I just have this thirst and this taste for the water, and it tastes so good that way, you know. And I tell you what, God wants us to have that same kind of thirsting for his goodness. We need to taste, we need to see, his goodness is really good. And it's something that God says, once you begin to really embrace me as the good, good father, you know, it will satisfy a thirst in you that you have. So let's pray that this morning would be more than just an intellectual endeavor about an attribute of God, It would be an experience also of actually embracing and tasting and seeing that God is good. Would you bow your heads, please, with me? Lord God, we want to do more than just learn another attribute about you. We want to experience that. We want to embrace it. We want it to become part of our our way of relating to you. And we know that you've been revealed biblically as good, as the source of all goodness. So now we want to come and taste and see that you are good. And this morning, Lord, it's more Uh, is is, is about learning about your goodness, but it's also about experiencing that goodness firsthand. So Holy Spirit, come and make what I'm about to share with, with these folks a reality, would you? And God, I just pray that everybody here would come and taste and see that the Lord, he is good. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, here's our big topic this morning, our big thought this morning. God's willing to make his goodness known to his people. He's willing to make his goodness known to us. This is seen with his interaction with Moses. Author and pastor Chip Ingram wrote a book, God As He Longs to Be Seen. He says this about God's goodness and how he makes it known to people. God goes beyond dictionary definitions. He reveals his goodness in person. How? One of the first times he explicitly reveals his goodness is towards the end of the book of Exodus, where we catch up with Moses on a mountain on uh, top, receiving the Ten Commandments. Moses wanted to know God. He had heard the voice in the burning bush, had seen the miracles in Egypt, and the parting of the Red Sea, which freed his people from slavery. God had provided water, manna, in the wilderness. Moses had witnessed abundant evidence of God's power, but he wanted more, a personal, intimate knowledge of this powerful voice and miracle-working provider. So in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he said to God, Now show me your glory, In other words, he boldly told God, I really want to know you. I I want to see you as you are. Here's how God responded. Listen to this response. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Moses wanted to see God's glory, but God showed him something more accessible, less dangerous, his goodness. Which brings us to this point. Moses wanted to see then God's glory, but God showed him his goodness. It was a bold, audacious ask by Moses, right, to see God's glory. He really wanted to have this intimacy with God, but that would have killed him. And God said, you can't handle that. You can't see my glory face to face. But what you can see is my goodness. And I want you to know my goodness. Do you know God's goodness? Sometimes we ask God for things that would kill us. And we don't realize it. But what God always wants to show his people is his goodness. He wants his goodness to be known by us. He wants us to know that he is a good, good father. So the question that begs asking a little bit here is how has God revealed his goodness to you and I? How has he made his goodness known to us? And I want to talk with you about that just for a few moments, and that's how I'm going to close out the message this morning. Here's how God's goodness is revealed. First of all, through universal blessing, through universal blessings. God pours out his goodness to the good, quote, and the bad alike with his universal blessings. Let me explain this. It's our tendency to blame God, well, some people, to blame God for things like natural disasters. We're God in all this, and how can God be good when all these bad things are happening? But listen, we have so many good things all the time that we just take for granted there is a constancy to god's universal blessings that we don't even see around us all the time all the time god is blessing us god inspired moses or excuse me david excuse me to to write psalm 145 which is a hymn of praise for a good good father who gives this universal blessings out to people listen to what he says in verses 7 through 9 of psalm 145 they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to who? All. He has compassion on all he has made. David further on in this psalm shares the following thoughts in verses 15 through 17. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. So what, what, what David is saying here and, and understanding is, God, you're good. Man, you're good to all. The bad and the good alike, you're good to them. And I'm using that, that word good for people in quotes because none of us are good, right? He's good to all. And one of the ways he demonstrates that goodness is by provision, by giving us what we need, by uh, supplying uh, our, uh, for our needs. By, uh, we just overlook that. We don't even see it. In fact, David ends his psalm by declaring in verse 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. David is so overwhelmed by the goodness of the Father that he says, listen, praise him. The psalm basically ends with a command, praise God for his goodness. I don't think we'll experience the full orb depth of the goodness of God Until we begin to actually acknowledge it and see it and praise Him as a good, good Father. Listen, we could have been put into a black and white world, right? And I'm looking at you all, and you're pretty young, but I remember the days of black and white TV. You know, it was pretty much black and white, color was a great invention. God could have put us in a black and white world, God could have made food taste bland. I remember feeding our, our, our little ones some baby food. I can't remember which one I did this with, but we had six kids, well, we have six kids. But I remember looking at that baby food and heating it up, I can't even remember what the occasion was, thinking, that smells delicious. I'm gonna sneak a bite. It was terrible. It was nasty, it was bland. It was like, no wonder you're spitting this back out at me. This stuff is nasty. Tastes terrible. God could have made all the food that we eat taste nasty. Could have been bland. He could have just been, well, we got to get this done. I need some calories to survive. He didn't do it that way. God could have made us all look the same. Now, who he'd look like, I don't know. You can imagine that for yourself. But he could have made us all look the same. He could have put us on just this perfectly flat, round world. When I mean flat, I mean smooth just like a ball, this smooth. Everything could have looked like central South Dakota. The whole world could have looked like that, right? Just flat. He could have made it like that, but instead God created into this existence that we experience pleasure and beauty and mountains and rivers and flowers and cool-looking tree frogs that want to live in the exhaust pipe uh, uh, my furnace at the cabin that I have to take out all the time and throw them out of there, you know? And he, he just made this diversity. Um, he, he, he gave us meaning and life and each other, and none of you look the same, and thank God for that, right? And we have this wonderful diversity of look and and personality and talents and skills. It's kind of marvelous when you ever think about it that way, that this is a God of creativity, and he's created us to enjoy all this isn't it wonderful i was sitting at our cabin here this last week i was up there doing some things and the sun set on the on the lake in northern minnesota and that's where our cabin's at it is just gorgeous it is just i don't know how to describe it and i'm not one to do that much but i sat out there and just watched it and the sun just shimmers on the water late at night you know what i'm talking about some of you and just to see the beauty of all that and i thought you're a good good father this creation screams that you're a good, good father. I wonder if we just blow by it. We just don't see it. We're so busy. We tend to let problems in our life loom so large we don't see the beauty all around us. I mean, if you have a bad headlight in your car, you don't throw the car out, do you? You fix the headlight. I mean, we live in a world that has problems. It has some dysfunction. You know why? Because of us. Because of our sinfulness. We've caused all the problems in the world we see, but, but there's this constancy. There's this beauty there that still percolates through and it just screams God good good father by and large we should look out at creation and go wow this is way cool and and worship God I think God is too good for us to even comprehend God's goodness is also revealed this way through specific deliverance Um, that's what Psalm 107 is all about The psalm begins by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Um, Then he goes on to list several specific ways in which that goodness is demonstrated. It's by specific deliverances is what I would call it. And and I'm just going to summarize the psalm for you. on The ways it's it's revealed, the ways God's goodness is revealed is through this. Uh, God redeems, God rescues, God heals, and God protects. But what if you're one who says, well, I needed God to rescue me, and he didn't, or I needed God to heal me, and he didn't? What does that mean? Well, we still trust his goodness. We still serve a good, good father. Chip Ingram, in his book, God as He Longs to Be Seen, said the following, gave the following story uh, about um, acknowledging God's goodness in all circumstances. Let me read this to you. One of my most favorite memories of God's deliverance was his rescue of a lifelong friend. Glenn was serving as a missionary, um, and during a vacation, he took his family to an ocean resort for some rest and relaxation. When Glenn was on the beach with his wife and two kids, a young man out in the water suddenly began to uh, wave and shout that he was getting pulled under. No lifeguards were there, and it was obvious that if no one intervened, the boy would drown A strong Minnesota farm boy and an excellent swimmer, Glenn ripped off his shirt and dove in. He cut through the pounding breakers and reached the struggling victim just in time. He dove below the boy, grabbed him from behind, and heaved him out of the undertow to the surface. His timing was perfect. A wave caught the boy and carried him towards waiting hands near shore. But Glenn's tactic put him in the clutches of the same undertow from which he had just rescued the boy. He was slammed to the bottom, pinned by an invisible hand. I couldn't move at all, and I was completely out of air. Um, I cried out, oh, Jesus, help me. Pictures flashed through my mind. All I could think was that my wife and two kids were going to watch me drown in front of them. I didn't know how I would die, but I never thought it would be like this. He continued, I gave up. I stopped fighting. There's nothing I could do. I knew death was close. The next breath I took would be all water, and I was ready to pass out. What I expected to be my last conscious thought turned into a prayer. Oh, Jesus, save me. Literally, as though someone grabbed and threw me, I popped to the surface, and a wave swept me in towards eager hands. They got me to the beach, helped me cough the water out of my lungs. When they turned me over, another missionary, Robin Cook, was there bending over me. The dreads of adrenaline helped me sit up, and I was shaking badly. Someone threw some towels around me. After it was all over, I turned to Robin, and I said, God is good, isn't he? I'm not sure how God gives people the right words for the right time, but Robin had a memorable answer. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, Glenn, God sure is good. But he'd be good even if he died out there. And I read that about five times when I first read it. I said, you know, that's true. God's goodness is not conditional on an outcome. God is good because God is good. And we need to begin to see, no matter what we're facing, no matter what the outcome uh, that, that is transpiring, God is good. Our personal suffering and pain is, is part of doing life in this sin-soaked world. It has some consequences, but God is always good, amen? We serve a good, good God. Do any of you ever watch those HGTV shows? We watch some of those. I enjoy them. One of my favorites is becoming Fixer Upper, hosted by Chip and Joanna Gaines. Anybody watch that show? I always marvel. How did that guy get that wife? I mean, she's great, and he seems a little bit, you know on uh, he he definitely married up. She definitely settled. I was talking to to, uh, John Hart. He said, uh, after second service, I have to say this to give credit to John Hart. He said, in a marriage, there are reachers and there are settlers. Chip is a reacher. Joanna is a settler in this relationship, you know? And I thought, that's great. I'm going to use that next hour because that's very insightful language. Anyway, they, they, they go in, and, in these homes in Waco, Texas, and they rebuild the home for the homeowners, and they make them into beautiful homes, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. It's standard HGTV. Right before the couple gets to come and see their new home, they have this big reveal. So they bring the couple out in front of this refurbished home, but they have put up this gigantic picture of the old home. So you can't see the new home, right? And they put the couple in front of that old picture and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is how the house used to look, blah, 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 you know? And then they split the big picture apart for the grand reveal, right? And they all go, yay, crazy and cry and go, wow. And they're so overwhelmed with their new home look and all that, it's the big reveal. And I kind of like that, as strange as it may sound, it's fun to watch people get so excited. We have a big reveal when it comes to God's goodness. It's a, it's a big reveal that's so, so familiar to us, I think it loses its impact. We don't go, wow, and we ought to go, wow, and we don't go, ooh, and we ought to go, ooh, and we ought to be overwhelmed by the big reveal of God's goodness because the big reveal of God's goodness is his son. That's the big reveal of God's goodness. Through his son, God's goodness is revealed, and we ought to go, whoa. Um, back to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. In this exchange where this man ran up to Jesus and said, good teacher, um, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good God. Well, there's a couple things we could take away from that exchange. First of all, God is good. Amen? No no one else is good. But if this person was calling Jesus good, then he's calling him God. And I think that was part of Jesus' point here. If you're going to call me good, then understand I am God. I'm part of the Godhead, and I am indeed good and he wanted the man to see that i am good and god is good jesus is god's goodness embodied in flesh for us to see up close and personal He is a living embodiment of goodness he is beautiful excellent lovely delightful joyful fruitful precious cheerful kind correct righteous cordial full of goodwill towards people he is the definition in flesh of the goodness of god so that's the big reveal of god's goodness so how do we respond to the goodness revealed to us universally specifically and through the Son. how do we respond to that goodness first of all repent of your unbelief of god's goodness if that's a problem repent of it and also repent of your ingratitude i think sometimes in life we're not grateful to god We don't praise him for his goodness. We don't even see it. We don't even acknowledge it. And God wants us to turn from being an unbelieving, ingrateful people and turn to him and say, you're good. You're good all the time. And and I'm going to fixate on your goodness. Secondly, rest in his goodness when you encounter adversity. Rest in his goodness when you encounter adversity. Watch this. I think this is a really good um, example of what you do when you face adversity. You choose to fixate on the goodness of God, not fixate on the adversity. Amen? You choose to do that because you serve a good, good father. And you may not have all the answers, and you may not understand all the situations you're facing. What you do is you fixate on what you know, and God is good, and that's how he's been revealed to us. He's good all the time, amen. So God is good all the time, amen. Um, We're going to go into a time of communion right now, Um, and I want us just to kind of have that focus of the goodness of God. Listen to Psalm 31, I'm going to read to you verse 19, here's what it says. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men oh how great is the goodness of god keep that in your mind as we take uh, communion this morning um here's how this is going to work just so you're aware of it Um, we serve open communion i forgot to say it the first couple of hours if you're a believer in jesus christ you are welcome to take communion with us all right um and so if you're on this main level in the middle sections, you'll come up and grab communion from here. On the sides, you'll grab it from the sides. If you're up in the balcony here, and you're all lopsided this way for some reason today, um, an usher will come and serve you from this point down, okay? So you just have to remain seated, and they'll bring you communion. If you have some kind of a, a problem with gluten, there are gluten-free wafers over here to my left. Um, and so that's the a kind of pragmatic side of communion. Let's prepare our hearts now for communion, and let's, let's Let's have this time of communion with this good, good Father. Listen to this invitation. You who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbors and are following um, Jesus in a new life and and, and following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near now in faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and meekly make your humble confession uh, to Almighty God. Would you bow your heads as I pray and consecrate the elements? Almighty uh, Father, um, who in mercy gave your only son Jesus to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, accept our praise, we beseech you. We thank you for your love, for your goodness, for the gift of your son, for the sacrifice he made in our behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our hearts, for the present witness of your Holy Spirit to our hearts that we are your child. Grant that as we receive this bread and juice and memory of Christ's death and suffering and communion with you and your children, we may be made partakers of his body and of his blood. In your precious name, Jesus, amen.